Welcome to the Glasgow Museum's podcast. In this episode, we're delighted to welcome Sue John, Director of Operations, Resources and Enterprise at Glasgow Women's Library, the UK's only accredited museum dedicated to women's history. Sue will be talking with Fiona Hayes, Glasgow Museum's Curator of Social History, as they tell us the inspirational story of Janet Barrowman, a Glaswegian suffragette. fascinated by small objects that don't really look very interesting but once you actually begin to look at them you actually begin to find out quite um quite a bit more they almost these objects seem to um unpack big stories for little things you know that might seem just sort of throw away ordinary things so what looking at here are three coins um, these are the old style coins, pre-decimal coins. There's um, two pennies and one sixpence. And in themselves, you might not think there's as much to say. But when you turn each of these coins over, you'll see that they're all engraved. Um, and they also have a little loop that's been attached to them and put them in so that they can be worn. And if we look at the um, engraving, um, they're all engraved, Holloway Hard Labour, Janet Barrowman, March to April 1912. And immediately you think, oh, there's a story here. In yes. fact, all that information is there because um, Janet Barrowman um, was a suffragette. Um, she was a member of the Women's Social and Political Union. And um, she was very active in the Glasgow branch, and um, she was also one of the women who went down to London to take part in the window smashing campaign in the West End of London um, at the beginning of March 1912. Holloway and the women's prison in London, it's the prison where um, the suffragettes um, were sent um, as prisoners, and it's from where they sort of also started to campaign as well to be seen as political prisoners. Um, What's happening here is that um, these are the coins that um, she earned for her hard labour. Um, later in her life, um, she was interviewed by um, local Glasgow press and mentioned a bit about her um, time as a her, her suffragette um, activity. And it was her militant activity that um, we're talking about here. Um, so we find that um, back in February 1912, um, Emmeline Pankhurst, the leader of the WSPU, um, the Women's Social and Political Union, beginning to sort of up um, the campaign, things becoming more militant as the government, the local government is, is really not taking any um, interest or taking forward this whole push, um, push for um, women um, to be given the vote. The window smashing campaign, the one um, at the beginning of March, was one of big campaigns where um, women from all over the country, and as we can see from Glasgow as well, went down to London and they brought with them um, the little toffee hammers or um, pebbles and that, um, so that at a given time that they would start smashing windows. And this was actually really beginning to, you know, to bring the attention of government to um, the campaign and there was no prior warning so it was in a way it was really affected and um, there's estimated numbers of women taking part maybe around about 150 or more 
But uh, to get back to Janet uh, Barrowman, we know that she was one of a, a group of women that went down. There were at least seven women um, from Glasgow who were imprisoned uh, as part of the um, this window smashing campaign. Uh, she mentioned, um, say, she took this, um, it was a pebble from Presswick Beach that she took with her. So again, there's another nice local connection. Um, you know, they, they took the pebbles down, hidden in the stocking, and sort of, you know, she's carrying it. So that all the windows were smashed at the same time as well. So, and she and a couple of other um, suffragettes, they were down in Downing Street. So they were smashing windows in Downing Street. Behind it all was the fact that they were arrested to sort of make that statement. Uh, so, uh, Janet Barman, she was uh, prisoned for in Holloway. So she was there in March until April and um, sentenced to hard labour, and hard labour um, was actually, they were, they were all given knitting to do, and as part of that, they also earned a small wage, and that wage she got was um, an eight pence, the two pennies and the six pence. That's why we have these coins here. Um, like all the um, other suffragettes, who were, she gave her prison earnings to the Women's Social and Political Union to part of the campaign fund. And she also had um, two pennies and sixpence engraved. Now, and that actually becomes a really personal um, memento, a personal statement. Um, she also sort of mentions as well about wearing her Holloway brooch, the badge um, that um, the women were given. But these, these, um, the, these three coins and um, these old style um, pre-Victorian coins suddenly um, are sort of taken on, you know, a a different uh, meaning because they sort of bring us back to that time when women were actually really having now to push um, forward um, this um, demand to be given a vote, a say in government, and say in society. It's really something that's. I think sort of resonates um, even today, you know, the idea of um, campaigning. I think the, um, the, the poignancy of those little coins, you know, they're, they're a very kind of powerful object, uh, you know, they, they have a, they, they have a, they, they kind of pack a punch beyond the kind of, the, the kind of size of the actual items or the value of the items because you know what she endured uh, to, uh, uh, to be able to, tell the story and to be able to uh you know come out and, ha and have those engraved to to kind of as part of telling that story and um, I'm fascinated to know that um you know I've kind of I can imagine the the journey down almost from by these um suffragettes based in Glasgow all the way down to London to take part in you know what was a hugely brave campaign you know that the the act of the the window smashing shouldn't be underestimated and uh, funnily enough just by pure coincidence I was ha happening to read over the weekend um, a paper printed in um, in 2015 uh, it's a, a a paper called the argument of the broken pain by Jane Chapman and it appeared in a, a media history journal and it's about it's exactly about the uh, the window smashing campaign of 1912 1913 uh, and I was it, it kind of talks about the relationship between uh, the businesses whose windows were smashed and uh, and the kind of suffrage campaign if you like so 
it also talks about the, how brilliant the kind of the suffrage press were uh, at in in their kind of use of their newspapers in achieving a balance of um, you know their political stance and campaigning, but also exploiting um, the the market system and advertising. So if you look at suffragette newspapers, you'll see there are adverts carried everywhere you know page after page there are things for about clothing or um cigarettes i think you know so that the you know manufacturers and department stores and stores have really kind of cottoned on to the idea that there's a kind of market there for them to tap into to uh for people to go and buy products from their stores but what's interesting in the article i think is that when um, the suffragette newspapers themselves advocated window smashing in, in the West End of, uh, of London at this time. The companies who were the targets of the window smashing still took adverts in the newspaper, you know, which is kind of a really interesting dynamic, I think. And uh, I know not all of them were kind of public supporters of, of women uh, getting the vote. I think um, I think Selfridges were, I think uh, Selfridges were uh, were were seen as supporters but i think it's you know it's quite a fascinating dynamic between you know uh, actually advocating to go and smash the windows of, of these the, these uh, shops that then uh, are are loyal customers of, of suffragette newspapers but um so so it, it's a, a completely kind of fascinating scenario i think and i just wondered fiona do, do you know uh, the names of any of the women that went down with Janet uh, on, on that journey? Do, do we have a record of who those those other women were? Well, um, well, in Glass Museum's um, collection, we have a photograph of seven women um, who um, went down. You know. the, along with Janet Barrowman, there's Helen Crawford, who went on to become one of the founders of the Communist Party, and really important women in the um, rent strikes as well in Glasgow. Um, there's also Margaret McFun and her sister Frances, again, two very, you know, significant women in the suffrage movement. Um, and along with them, there was uh, Nancy A. John, Annie Swan, um, and uh, Mrs. A. A. Wilson. So there's, again, to think, you know, those are the women that, you know, they, they were in prison, but um, they were other women who went down as well so yeah they are all, all really notable aren't they for mm -hmm. the kind of activism that they uh, that they were involved in th throughout the campaign and I know that um, some of, of those um, some of those activists we talk about on the the women's library has uh, a number of women's heritage walks uh, covering the west end and the east end and uh, and, and the gobbles as well and we, we talk about um those women on, on some of those th those walks and um, i know that um, janet contributed um, items to the collection at glasgow's museums and and the coins are amongst this collection and i, I just wondered uh, i know i think that was in the 50s she donated and i, I just wondered uh, what other items there that there were amongst Janet's uh, collection when she d donated her her, um, her items? Well, it's, it's really thanks to Janet Barrowman that um, Glass Museum's um, collection material in the nineteen fifties. Um, we find her. Um, there's a record of her contact in the museum. I think it's in the early nineteen fifties, um, offering a banner from the Men's uh, um, League. And from that, it seems uh, to get a sense through um, some of the letters uh, she's read 
that she also went out and contacted um, other suffragettes to see, you know, if there's material and as well as some of her own things, including um, you know, she part of the tea set from um, the um, SPU Grand Bazaar, Suffrage Bazaar that was held in, in the centre of Glasgow. Um, Along with that, um, is Maggie Moffat's one, another woman who comes to mind, um, whose husband was actually really involved in the men's league. We have Maggie Moffat's badges, Women's Freedom League, and um, the ESPU badges as well. So um, she's really um, quite significant. And I think that's, again, you could see almost like that by, you know, the, the middle of the 20th century, you know, um, the women are getting older, the sort of um, thing. This is a really concerted effort to make sure that what they did, um, what they went through, is not forgotten and is not lost. And I think it's also interesting to note that the, the, the material came into the People's Palace um, of you know, um, that point, you know, the History Museum for um, Glasgow Museums. And at that point, um, the curator was a woman. And she was the, the first paid curator for Glasgow Museum. So I think um, whether, you know, somehow is recognizing you know, the significance um, of that. But it's a huge collection. There's banners, there's badges, there's photographs, there's pamphlets, there's letters. There's a really quite important resource. And again, I Janet Barman, I mean, she might not have been one of the hunger striking suffragettes, um, but she was always there. She was involved yes, in this, the they, WSP self-denial week where, you know, they would give up something and then whatever would be saved from that, they would then donate to the campaign. You um, see her there, um, really very um, active. You know, I think as a public collection um, in Scotland, we have a lot to thank her for, you know, to make sure that, that we, we do have these mm. items now to tell um, those stories. The other thing I think is that interests um, me as well is that sort of feeling of solidarity and support between the women um, that comes out, you know, that, sort of thing, that they went down in a group, that they, you know, they were given badges to sort of mark their imprisonment. They, um, when they came out, there were other women there to, to meet them, to, um, to support them. And I think that's really sort of helped sort of keep um, the, the, the campaign going. You know, I think that's, you know, there weren't sort of several sort of lone voices. There was a really strong organisation behind them or strong feeling between the women. I know that, you know, this particular militant inside the WSPU and the Women's Freedom League, there was beginning to be such sort of fracturing and that. But the, even so, there's that, I think there's still that sort of feeling of the, women really want to support each other and um, move forward. And, and I think what's kind of well documented uh, and, and well known is just the, you know, the, the kind of creativity um, within the, the suffrage movement as well, you know, the, the, the kind of visual representation and the, the making of items, you know, whether or not it was kind of banners or posters or postcards or you know that there's kind of a lot of creativity and a lot of um, kind of vis visual dynamism almost within that movement um, you know and I think some amazing texts have been have been written about that um, Elizabeth Crawford's uh, Art and Suffrage of uh, Biographical Dictionary of Suffrage Artists is really key uh, that came out in in 2018 um, and I think going back to your point about how important it was that Janet uh, gave 
these things to the museum and kind of recognize that the importance of keeping these items uh, is, is so true because, uh, you know, it begs the question of how much has disappeared, uh, you know, how many items have disappeared and how many kind of gaps we have in our knowledge, even though a lot has been researched around uh, around around the suffrage movement. Um, at, the, at the start of this year, I kind of became a part-time PhD researcher in history at the University of Glasgow, and my thesis has a working title of Satire and Suffragettes, Women's Rights in Everyday Material Culture in Britain, 1900 to 1930. So what I'm looking at is this kind of massive amount of memorabilia and objects produced for general consumption that signal support both for and in opposition to women gaining the right to vote. So I'm kind of, you know, really interested in these items and this stuff. Um, you know, I'm interested in kind of Janet's coins and those kind of personal poignant stories that are very, very uh, unique. You know, that is a, an absolutely unique item. Uh, but what I'm also interested in, in relation to me, research, I suppose, is the, these kind of mass produced items made, made by private companies for profit, for profit, as opposed to those produced by suffragists and suffragettes to raise support and money for the cause. Um, you know, and I know that you uh, in Glasgow Museums and certainly us at the Women's Library as well have many examples of, of these items. So uh, like Panko card game, for example, I think we, we both have um, a, a copy of, of that card game. Um, and we have a, a, lot, of, a lot of postcards um, that are certainly um, produced by these private companies, but also produced by suffrage societies as well with, with suffrage artists uh, actually designing those that kind of really took advantage of this kind of golden age of the postcard where there's a like pro proliferation of postcards in seaside resorts when holidays were becoming kind of more common for people and more affordable for people. Um, and, you know, at a time when, um, there were several postal deliveries a day, for example. So I always like to think of these uh, these postcards as kind of text messages of their day. You know, you could send a postcard in the morning that would arrive later that day to, to its destination. So what we find on the uh, on the reverse of the postcards, the written messages are often kind of very, uh, you know, contrary to, to a message that, that might be on the front. So we have lots of images that are very quietly, quite kind of graphically violent uh, to women. So they depict things like, um, you know, women, uh, drawn images of women with their tongs pulled right out and nailed to a table. So really quite, you know, kind of misogynistic, violent postcards. Uh, and on the back, somebody will say, I hope you're having a lovely holiday or we'll see you on Friday or, or you know, and things like that. And the themes of these postcards are kind of have a thread running through them. So, and they recur. So they will often concentrate, for example, on the terrible things that will happen if women are able to vote. You know, for example, men will have to do housework uh, and so on. And that women are kind of depicted as, you know, with lessening femininity and increasingly kind of masculinization of women in terms of their features and dress, dresses and so on. So, you know, it's quite kind of interesting the extent of these items and just the amount of sheer stuff that was out there that 
gave an, an indication of um, how people, not involved in the suffrage movement directly, but how people, what people felt about suffragettes and 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 so on at the time, you know. So obviously, Janet and uh, and the activists smashing windows, you know, that impacts on people. They will have had, you know, responses, and it's kind of interesting to try and gauge what those responses might be, both supportive and uh, and not. Uh, but I, I just wondered, you know, is there anything um, else in, in the Glasgow Live collection that kind of, you know, gives an idea of the things that were produced or, you know, a barometer really of, of what people were thinking of at the, at the time? Well, I mean, I mean, similar to Glasgow Women's Libraries, you mentioned, I mean, we, there are sort of um, collections of these postcards and you're, you're right, they are they're just incredibly brutal and vicious. I mean, and you sort of, <laughs> and you wonder, you know, think that, you know, these things were just, you know, mass produced, you know, for people just to pick up and write messages on them. You know, you think, so what is that really saying, you know, you know about you know, general attitudes to, to women? And, and it is really interesting that, you know, there's also, as you mentioned, this sort of real sort of range of sort of, um, anti-suffragette material that with things you know in collection like um, the ink pot which is yeah. really vicious bullying type of you know woman you know that's sort of scowling and things you know and that's you know the sort of someone just sort of sit in their their desk and pop the ink you know take the head off you know put your ink in. So it so, is this sort of you know the mass production of these images at a time it is it's really um it's fascinating it's sort of say you know that's sort of beginning to look at that sort of insight um into um sort of attitudes at the time i mean i i mean i know you're just beginning your research um but is there anything that you know you're beginning to sort of follow up on get yeah it's interesting I mean at this stage I'm just kind of doing a survey of the the types of objects I am particularly interested in uh in in, in the postcards for for lots of, of different reasons but um you know the, the other items that kind of fascinate me are things like um uh, this ceramic little again we've got one in the collection at the women's library a kind of ceramic bell so i suppose about 10 centimeters high maybe a bit smaller um and these were arcadia i think they're, they're known as that they make so presumably stoke-on-trend ceramics very kind of fine time but it's a little bell so you kind of pick it up and ring it but on one side it depicts an older woman clearly an older woman uh and it's got the Glasgow coat of arms on. So these were made specifically to cities and towns. I've seen them in relation to other cities and towns as well, but with the same facial expression. But rather than being depicted uh, quite grotesquely, this older woman is depicted as quite a kind of sweet, you know, smiling, kind of dignified um, image. And then on the reverse of her face is the face of clearly a younger woman. And on the back of that, it says, she will have the vote. So I think this is a kind of, you know, it's a, a symbol really of one generation passing down to the next generation. This kind of, you know, the fight for uh, us fighting for equality will mean that you are the beneficiary of that. Um, and it, again, it just makes me think, um, 
you know, who bought this? Whose mantelpiece was this on? You know, so I'm kind of dying to get beyond, you know, scratching any surfaces to, to find out, yeah, who bought these and why? Um, you know, with the game Panko, you know, I imagine it's a card game. It's kind of the suffragettes versus the, uh, the, the system with the police and the judiciary and so on. Uh, you know, I'm quite interested to think, to, to think and yeah, who bought that? I've got this kind of image of, you know, middle-class Edwardians kind of sitting in their drawing rooms of a nighttime playing this game. You know, it's quite um, fascinating what it opens up in terms of imagination. And yeah, I suppose kind of motivation for, presumably these companies produced items because they were economically viable. You know, there was a demand and they, they saw profit. Uh, but I, I'm very interested in where they were sold and, and who who bought them and, and why. And with the postcards, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in did the suffragettes themselves or suffragists themselves uh, collect these postcards? You know, what did they think of them when they're they're virtually seeing themselves depicted in this way? This is, you know, as, as contemporary items that th these have been produced uh, Im imaging them, you know, and how that must feel to be kind of vilified and, and, and depicted in, in those ways, you know. So I'm quite interested in, uh, in whether or not there's any evidence of those involved in the suffrage movement actually collecting these, these items and keeping them. And did they laugh at them? Did they find them funny? Or did, were they completely offended by them, you know? I mean, it's, it's fascinating, really. It's, uh, and as you, as you mentioned, that. You know, these manufacturers must have thought there was a market for them. You know, these commercial factories, they wouldn't be um, producing them. Yeah, indeed. And, and that's what I'm really hoping to get to the bottom of. I'll be visiting kind of archive collections up and down the country to look at, um, you know, what evidence there is of, of where these things were, were sold and bought. And, I, you know, I'd be very interested in kind of listening to oral histories uh, of those uh, involved uh, in, in the suffrage movement to see if there's any clues there about this. But going back to our earlier point, you know, much of this information's lost. You know, we, we weren't um, fast enough back then uh, to record the voices of, of, of these women that were involved in the suffrage movement. Um, so, you know, I suppose kind of around the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, you know, we weren't kind of taking care of, of women's history like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, much of it is, is lost, but hopefully through your work and through our work and the work of many others, we're trying to kind of piece things together a bit more now. And, uh, you know, the, the work of, um, academics and, and writers is, is really key to kind of pulling all that information together as well. I think that's um, you know, really where museum services, you know, those, you know, really do have an important role to play. And um, that really it's sort of different voices. It's not just the, the one dominant story. Um, there's, there's lots of stories um, to be told and women still you know, women's stories still tend not to be the ones that have come to the surface first. So, so anyway, it's been great to chat, to talk about this. In some ways, you know, it's really just sort of the beginning we're going on with this. Definitely. And and I, I when uh, when we're out of lockdown and things change, hopefully I'll be able to make my way to uh, 
to the um, the, uh, the stores uh, at Glasgow Life and and maybe look at uh, at the at the Janet Brownman collection as well if, if that would be okay because I'd, I'd really love to uh, to look at some of her letters maybe and, and some of some of the other things that she um, contributed if that would be okay yeah that's good well let's hope it's not too long now. <laughs> Yeah, thank, thank you for sharing the story of, of Janet as well and uh, and, and her, her, her beautiful coins that she uh, lovingly had had engraved as well and it, it's, I'm so thrilled that they're in the collection at, at Glasgow Museums and uh, therefore for people to kind of learn more about as well. That's all we have time for in this episode of the Glasgow Museums podcast. If you've enjoyed and want to hear more, you can find more episodes available on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts and on SoundCloud too. Just look for Glasgow Museums. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>